Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. All righty, here we go. So we're in uh, part two of our Easter series called Thank You, Jesus, Now What? And uh, last week we started this series and, and we're just trying to answer the question through this Easter season, what's life meant to look like for us now because we have believed in Jesus' sacrifice for us? We started last week looking at Galatians 2, verse 17 to 21, where we talked about freedom from the law through trusting in Jesus and receiving his grace towards us. A key verse for us last week was Galatians 2.20, which taught us that the person we used to be struggling to obey the law has been crucified with Christ. That old version of us no longer lives, but Christ has become alive in us because we believed in him. And as a result, we live today by trusting in Jesus in everything we do. Then we looked at six practical ways for how we can trust Jesus today and enjoy his grace for us more and more. If you're interested in finding you know, some more details about that message or something else that we've ever taught on here at church, you can always go to our website, candocfc.com, and you can click on the link that says messages, and everything is archived in there. Okay, so today, we're going we're gonna to look at this, answering this question, now what, or how do we live for Jesus today since he died for us? We're going to answer this question with a bit of a different angle by looking at worship. And this may surprise you. But we're not going to talk about anything that has anything to do with music or singing. Yet it's still going to be all about worship. So here we go. We're going to pray and then we'll we'll dive in and we'll look at some scripture together. Lord Jesus, as we enter your word here, as we look into it and we, we come with an expectant heart where we want you to teach us. We want to learn, Lord Jesus, what worship is from your perspective. Help our hearts to be engaged here, Lord. I just pray that any distractions... Any other thoughts that are competing with uh, you right now that might steal away our full attention from you? We just pray that those things would take a break. And that we right now, Father, would give you everything that we have. And that you would take it for yourself and use it for your glory. Amen. Okay, so if we just look generally at the Bible, if you've tried reading the Bible, it's pretty clear to see that as people of God, we are meant to live a life that worships God. You can see evidence from this, from the Bible all over the place that talks about this lifestyle. Psalm 29 verse 2, for instance, says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Exodus 7 verse 16 is where God is telling Moses what to say to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh will release the Israelite people from captivity in Egypt. And that verse says, then he said to him, the Lord The God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so they may worship me in the wilderness, but until now you have not listened. And then in the New Testament, when we see Jesus' life beginning to unfold before us, he's being tempted in the wilderness by, by Satan, and Jesus says to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So it's pretty plain to see, just from those three passages, that as we read the Bible, God is meant to be worshipped. But here's the question, or or here's one question. What do churches typically call their Sunday morning gathering? A blank service. A worship service, right? See, we even understand this idea at least a little bit enough that we would say what we do when we get together is supposed to be worship. Worship. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, okay, okay, so that's good. But here's the big question. This is the one that we really need to think on a little bit. What is worship? And and what does it mean to worship God? Because we see that the Bible talks about it. We've even dubbed our weekly get-together a worship service, but we, do we know what this means? So let's, let's try to figure this out together. I'm asking the question. I'll answer it, but I'm going to give you the first crack. So what is worship? Anyone have an idea? Praising God. Praising God? Yeah, absolutely. That's part of it, for sure. Learning about God. Learning about God, yes. Giving Him glory. Giving Him glory. Focusing on God? Yeah. Very good, Kat. Spending time with God. Spending time with God. I like that, Emily. Thanks. Thanks. Man, this side of the sanctuary is dominating. No offense, guys. Reverence. Yeah. Reverence? Again, yeah. I think you guys are winning 7-0 by now. Anyone? Anyone? Adoration. Okay, you're on the board. Good. Yeah, okay. It's. Do I see a hand back there? Ah, realizing the purpose for why he created us. Ooh, that is a very astute answer. Well done. Recognition of who he is. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you guys are doing great. Like, these are all facets, I believe, to worship, okay? So I came across a very interesting and very basic definition for worship this week. I, I hadn't really thought about it this simplistically before, but I really like what this person said. So here it is. Worship is people responding to God as he reveals himself to us. Very simple, right? I'll I'll say that again. Worship is people responding to God as he reveals himself to us. Pretty, Pretty straightforward, right? So what this definition is really helping us understand is that God is helping us to know him more and more. And then as we know God, and we see how good he is, we want to live our lives for him. We want to respond to what we know about him, right? So we're responding to God's revelation. God is good, let's live for him. That's basically what worship is. So a great example of worship, um, a, a whole bunch of examples actually come from Acts chapter 2. So I just want to look at a few things in there. We won't read the whole chapter, but this chapter of the Bible is packed with God revealing himself to people and people uh, positively responding to God, choosing to move closer and closer to live for him. So the very first verse of chapter 2 of Acts says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. So Pentecost was a festival, okay? It was a festival where people from all over, they came to to Jerusalem to worship God, right? But here is a very specific detail. The people who believed in Jesus, they were meeting together at the same place. That's worship. Choosing to associate yourselves with other believers is already an act of worship to God. Because he's done something for you and you're responding, right? Uh, Another couple of verses here. I won't read them, but I'll just uh, summarize them. Verses 2 to 4 explain what happens at this gathering of these believers. All these believers are together and the Holy Spirit arrives, filling all of them who were there. The Holy Spirit empowers each of these believers to speak in one of the many different languages that the people who were visiting Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost would speak. It's an act of worship. To be used by God in this way. God shows up 
And he fills these people with his power, with his Holy Spirit. And in response, they don't resist. They don't say, this is weird. I've never done this before. But they actually just gladly accept this new way that he is working in and through them. And they testify, right? You'll see this in a second. So these festival goers... They're, they're walking outside this place where all these believers are meeting and they start to hear someone speaking in their own language. Acts 2 verse 11 and 12. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. So another act of worship here is from these festival goers. They pay attention to the message about God that is being spoken. They don't ignore it, just saying, Pooh, that's weird. But they actually, they're open. They're saying, wow, this is interesting. What does this mean? They're curious about it, right? That's a simple response to God. So some who hear all the, the believers speaking in these different languages, they think this is a little crazy, right? They, they assume that it's nonsense and all these believers must be drunk. But Peter comes forward with the other 11 apostles as they're there with the believers and they preach and they begin to preach and explain what is happening here now that they're hearing the good news about Jesus in their own language. So this is another act of worship on the part of the apostles. They stand up to speak about Jesus. Jesus has revealed the truth about life and the kingdom of heaven to these 12 men. And in response, they are sharing God's message with other people. That's an act of worship. After Peter explained Jesus to the crowd, Acts 2.37 says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? So the festival goers are, are they're growing, actually, in their worship for God. They're not just curious. They are now eager to do something in response to the good news that they've heard. That's an act of worship, just desiring, what am I supposed to do? I want to do the right thing because this is amazing, right? Verse 38 Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter gives worship to God by instructing these people to believe and have faith in Jesus. Verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So 3,000 people participate in a mass act of worship, acknowledging Jesus as their Savior through baptism and joining in fellowship with the believers. They respond to God reaching into their lives in this miraculous way. And finally, verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So this suddenly large, very large group of believers in Jesus devote themselves to a lifestyle of responding to God. They worship Jesus with how they choose to live. That lifestyle of worship, it includes intentionally spending time together, learning from the apostles, being together with the other believers, eating together and remembering Jesus through what we now call communion and praying together. Their entire lives become this ongoing act of worship. As you read deeper into Acts, this is just the beginning, chapter 2, this idea of responding to God and making your response a lifestyle of worship, it becomes more and more clear. The (coughs) The thing that stands out to me is that from that day forward, the purpose of these new believers, the purpose for why they lived was to worship God. 
to respond to his grace given to them through Jesus. No one who became a believer in Jesus that day, not not one of those 3,000 people said, thank you, Jesus, now what? They didn't shrug their shoulders and say, okay, I guess it's all over. They got busy with a life of worship. It's beautiful for us to see this because this is the way that our lives can be lived as well. You and I can respond like this to Jesus' work in our lives when he reveals himself to us. And in fact, that's what we're meant to do. So let me show you an interesting thing here in the book of Romans. I don't know how many of you have read through the book of Romans, but a lot of us, we read it and we think it's all about the law and sin and righteousness and how those things kind of play in our lives, right? It's interesting. Uh, I think the book of Romans is actually a book all about worship. You might be surprised to hear that. But let me explain here. In the first 11 chapters, Paul is talking about how sin in our lives is a result of misplaced worship. When we worship anything but God, the result is sin. When we make anything but God the primary focus of our life, it results in us walking away from God, rebelling against him, right? So people were created to worship God, to receive from him and respond positively to him. But all of us have fallen into sin due to our worship being given to something other than God at one point in our lives. Paul continues to talk about how this is a common problem for all people. It doesn't matter what the skin color is, the culture that you grew up in, or the heritage that you were raised in. Everyone struggles with sin. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And he says that the solution to the sin problem is found by trusting alone in the sacrifice of Jesus. We learned about that in detail last week. So that's kind of what the first 11 chapters of Romans are. Misplaced worship. Then... In Romans chapter 12, Paul makes this really dynamic shift in what he's talking about. Basically, everything that he said is setting him up for this moment in Romans 12 verse 1. And that's going to be the focus for us this morning. So Romans 12 verse 1 says this. And so, so basically, in light of everything I've just told you about misplaced worship, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Okay, so let's go through this verse piece by piece here. Uh, This is going to be our our main focus, and I think we're going to gain a better understanding of worship from this verse. So Romans 12, it starts by saying, and so dear brothers and sisters. So Paul is just saying here, okay, everyone. I've just explained a lot of things to you about the sin issue that all of us deal with. But here's the thing. You also know that Christ sets us free. So here's our response. This is how it's supposed to be moving forward. And then he starts in on the instructions. He says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. So in this sentence, Paul writes about our response to God's revelation. Let's look at the part about God's revelation first. And the part about our response in this underlined section second. So the the revelation part would be because of all he has done for you, right? That's what God, that's God giving himself, revealing himself to us. So God has done something wonderful for us indeed, right? He has paid the penalty for our sins that we couldn't pay through his son, Jesus. Our sins condemned us to be eternally separated from God. But God sent Jesus to earth to take the penalty that we had coming our way. 
The penalty for our sin was death. And Jesus stepped in to die in our place. Because Jesus died for our sins, we are completely and totally forgiven. Jesus, who never sinned, gave up his life for us. And this is what God has done for you and me. He showed us that his love for us is like nothing we have ever experienced before. He set us free from sin and gave us a whole new life that doesn't end in death. But instead, we can live eternally with him in heaven. Hallelujah, right? So this is the revelation of God. This is him revealing himself to us in the loving sacrifice of Jesus. And now here comes the response that Paul is, is, is helping us to understand. The response is give your bodies to God. So we're not being told here to just give Jesus our, our skin and bones and blood and guts, the, the things that make up our physical bodies. That's not what Paul's getting at. But when he says give your bodies to God, he's telling us to give our whole selves to him. Everything that makes us who we are. In other words, now that you have accepted God's forgiveness through Jesus, the only right response is to surrender your whole life to live for him. So if you think about Jesus' death, did he give part of himself to be tortured and crucified? No, he didn't give part. He didn't even give most. He gave all. He gave himself completely. We respond to Jesus' powerful sacrifice for us where he held back nothing by holding back nothing and giving our whole lives, not part, not most, but our whole lives to him. Giving our whole lives to Jesus means that everything we think or say, do, desire, hope for, dream of, invest in, our our time, our energy, our money, our relationships, our romantic pursuits, our families, our education, our careers, our possessions, our retirement, our present and our future, we surrender it all to him. Jesus saved our lives, friends. If you, if you recognize that fact, then you will agree with me that our lives belong to him, right? Romans 6 verse 20 to 22 says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do not you do those things that led to now you do these things those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. So all of us live our lives serving a master. I don't know if everyone on earth would agree with that fact, but I think it's very true for every single person. Every one of us We live to serve a master. When we were lost in sin, sin was our master. Whether we wanted to be under his mastery of us, we certainly were. We were were forcibly enslaved by sin. But when we trusted in Jesus' forgiveness for us, we willingly made God the master of our lives. We chose him. We chose his forgiveness, we chose his eternal life, and we chose to align ourselves with what he says is good, now forsaking what we used to say what was good. And that means that we give our whole lives to him because we believe that Jesus gave his whole life for us. So that's what it means when Paul says, 
Give your bodies everything. Did you notice that at the, at the beginning of that verse, it's, Paul says, I plead with you. Other translations that you might read will say, I urge you. But it really means the same thing. But the question is, why would Paul plead for us to give our bodies, our entire lives to God? Can't he just make a suggestion and let us choose what is right? I think he pleads with us because it's so urgent and so serious. Giving our entire lives to God is how we show that we are grateful for all he has done. Here's a little illustration, okay? Let's say that you have a house that you're, you're making mortgage payments on. But times have become really tough. You've lost your job. Your savings have become depleted because you're buying groceries and using what little you can to pay on your mortgage. But you've got to this place now where you can't pay for your house any longer. The bank has given you a final notice. And if you don't make a payment by the end of the month, the bank will foreclose on your house and you will lose it forever. You're hopeless of getting out of this situation on your own. But then one of your best friends shows up in an act of amazing generosity. He sells his own home so he can purchase yours for you. The transaction goes through. You not only can stay in your home, but it's completely paid off. Now, what if your friend asked you if he could come and live with you because now he is homeless? What's the right answer to say? Yes, Yes, of course. You purchased my house. Yeah, you can live with me forever, right? He gave up his house for me. You can live with me yeah, forever and ever. It doesn't matter. See, this is the same argument that Paul is making, right? It's like Paul is saying, do you understand how much Jesus has done for you? It's huge. It's massive. He gave everything for you. So I'm urging you to do what is right. Give him everything, your whole body, your whole life. Give it all to him. Sorry, Ellen, I get excited. So then Paul explains this idea of giving our bodies to God. He helps us to understand the kind of sacrifice God is looking for when he says, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. So Paul is asking us to sacrifice our bodies. When we think of sacrifice, sometimes we think of pain. We think of loss. We think of giving something up, right? Maybe our minds go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system where we read about animals that were killed as an offering to God so that people could have some forgiveness for their sins, even though it would never last until Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Now, Paul isn't asking us to die physically, But he certainly is telling us that our bodies, our whole life, should be an offering to God. Just in the same spirit as those people who would have come to give an animal sacrifice as an offering to God. And he tells us what kind of offering our bodies should be. It should be a living offering and a holy one as well. So let's look at the idea of being a living sacrifice. All of our living should be done with this attitude in mind. We gladly give up or sacrifice our own way, what we might prefer to follow Jesus' way. This is the sacrifice that all of us who trust in Jesus are meant to make. Jesus sacrificed his life for us in death in response, right? We're talking about revelation and response. In response, we sacrifice our life for him in how we live. He sacrificed in his death, we sacrifice in how we live. Jesus, (coughs) 
<laughs> talks about this idea of sacrifice in Luke 9.23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So a cross, as we know, it's Easter season, we're thinking about these things. A cross is a sign of sacrifice. Jesus is teaching us that our willingness to die to who we used to be and embrace the new life that he has for us is a daily choice. Daily. Are you willing to, like I did, take up a cross? Be willing to give up on the life that you've had so you can have a different life. Are you willing to do that? Every day, friends, we need to choose if we will follow what we want to do or deny what we want to do in order to follow Jesus' desire for our lives. Not only is is the lifestyle of a Christian based on sacrifice, but also, oh sorry, I'm going to say that again. Not only is the lifestyle of a Christian based on sacrifice, but also it's, it's, that sacrifice is what produces our entrance into, into the kingdom of God too. John 3.3 3 says, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So to be born again means to give up or sacrifice our old life in order to be born into a new life. You can't be born again, yet still be alive in the old life that you were living, right? To be born again means I'm done with this and I'm starting something new. That's how we actually gain entrance into the kingdom of God, not just live a lifestyle that worships God. So we've seen the idea that sacrifice is something that we're urged to make here in Romans 12.1 and that it's a living sacrifice. Paul also says it's a holy sacrifice. This word, holy, describes the manner in which our, we surrender our lives to God. We set apart our whole lives, everything that we are in order to honor God. That's what holy means. It means set apart. It means we take what we have and we reserve it for God alone. We make it holy, consecrated, focused 100% on him. We, it can't be holy if I'm willing to give 99% to Jesus, but I want to hang on to the 1% that I really enjoy. That's not a holy sacrifice. That's a partial sacrifice. As I was reading about this idea of being a living and holy sacrifice for God, fully devoted to him, I began to wonder when I started to actually allow these ideas into my own life. So I thought for a little while in my office this week, and I think it was, it was back in my, early, or in my mid-20s when I began to actually consider the idea of being a, a living and holy sacrifice for God. Honestly, I, back then, I wouldn't have even used those terms, living and holy sacrifice. But looking back, I can recognize that, okay, some of those ideas were starting to, to happen in my mind and in my heart. If I'm honest, in the years leading up to my 20s, I had lived as a quote-unquote Christian, more or less, but I still held back so much of my life for myself. I gave enough of myself to God to make other people around me, in my family, at my church, think that I was a good Christian boy, right? But that's not the heart that Jesus was looking for in me. He didn't want me to strive to do just enough, and he didn't want me to do anything in order to make other people approve of me. That's not the goal. That's not the living and holy sacrifice that Paul's talking about. Living like that, just trying to be good enough and make other people feel like I was doing okay, living like that, I was missing the point. 
The heart that God was looking for in me was a willingness to give up my whole life for him. And that's hard for us to do, right? I don't need a show of hands. I, can, I already know because I'm one of you and you're one of me. Like, we're the same. It's hard for us to give up everything. We all have our own dreams and desires and goals in life. We all have wants that beg for our attention. I wasn't ever any different back in my mid-twenties. And in fact, I still feel that tension today. I'm pulled one way by my desires. And I feel God pulling me towards him when I learn about his desires for my life. Looking back, what I think made the difference in, in how I began to think about like, okay, I, I think I want to give more to God. What I think made the difference was my willingness to start entertaining the idea of living sacrificially for Jesus by serving in my church. Hear me out. This is kind of interesting. God is calling and equipping people all the time to do his work and the work of his kingdom on earth. So much of that work is done by Christians who say yes to Jesus every day and are willing to say no to themselves. And that work, typically, our first entrance into serving God in his kingdom, it often happens right here in the church. So I began to give some of my time to helping in a ministry or two. I took on a leadership role at our youth group at our church, and I was also asked to, to drum on a worship team on Sunday mornings. Karen, at the same time, she was asked to teach Sunday school, and we said yes to those things. Filling those needs was, was work. It wasn't like, oh, this will be easy. This will be no big deal. This won't make me have to sacrifice any time or energy at all. No, it, it took work, right? But it was satisfying work. And it, and it actually made my faith in Jesus, all the things that I claimed were true about myself, doing the work that God had given me to do, it made my faith make sense. Calling myself a follower of God while, while doing mostly nothing for him, it wasn't satisfying at all. As, ma- as a matter of fact, it, it was boring. It was not the life that I thought being a Christian was supposed to be. But the more I gave my time and energy to what Jesus was doing in our church, the more satisfaction I felt in my relationship with God. Can anyone identify with that last statement? The more you serve Jesus, the more satisfied you are to follow Jesus? There's a few hands. That's good. As I understood the need for God's church to have godly people serving in it, I slowly began to desire to be one of them. So Paul finishes Romans 12.1 by saying this. This is truly the way to worship him. So Paul's bringing everything full circle here for us today. At the beginning of this message... We saw that we're meant to worship God. The Bible revealed that to us. We asked the question, what is worship? And now Paul has explained for us what acceptable worship is to God. It's living a life fully devoted and sacrificed to God. I love the amplified version of the Bible. It it, it has these explanations in parentheses right in the verse so that it kind of explains it to you as you're reading it. So the New Living Translation, it says this, This is truly the way to worship him. The Amplified Translation of the Bible describes being a living and holy sacrifice as your your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. I think those three words, rational, logical, and intelligent, they actually make a ton of sense. 
in the way they describe the worship that is acceptable to God. So number one, it's rational. It's realistic. It's reasonable for us to give our whole selves to Jesus since he gave his whole self to us, right? Number two, it's because we trusted in Jesus, we have died to our old life, who we used to be. Therefore, it's logical. It actually makes sense for us to live an entirely new life. Wouldn't you agree with that, friends? And number three, it's actually an intelligent or a wise decision for us to live fully devoted to the one who saves us and holds our eternity in his hands. It's actually unwise and unintelligent to say, Jesus, I got what I want from you, and now I'm going to live the life that I want. That is a bad idea. So we've seen today that true worship is God revealing himself to us and us responding to him. It's as simple as that. That's the rhythm of Christian life. And we've understood that the response God is looking for, it's not just singing in church on Sundays. What a relief, right? For some of us, we are not singers. For others, we're like, oh, I really love singing. But worship is something that's far more encompassing than just 15 or 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. The response God's looking for isn't just being at church on Sunday mornings, even though that's a wonderful thing to do. But worshiping God is far more inclusive, affecting literally everything we do. It's a choice that takes over every piece of our lives. Worship is initiated in us when from our hearts we are grateful for who God is and we are grateful for what Jesus did for us on the cross And we're so grateful that we can't say thank you enough. Karen, if you want to come up. Let me pray here before we sing a closing song. Lord God, this idea of worship is is actually huge. Like it's, I feel like we're barely scraping the surface, yet I feel like we've kind of cut down to the heart of it pretty quickly. Lord, everything that we could possibly be, everything that we could possibly do, we need to give it all to you. We're not here at church on Sundays giving our time because we want to live some partial, pathetic life where we trick ourselves into thinking, oh yeah, I love Jesus, I'm all in for him. But really, we've sacrificed very little. God, as we remember the sacrifice of your son, the totality, the huge, all-encompassing nature of your sacrifice, you didn't hold anything back for us. So Jesus, my prayer is this. Compel us, motivate us, and inspire us to not hold anything back for you. That is truly our act of worship.